Tonight we will be celebrating communion, so if you didn't pick up a little package on the way up, there should be a cup and a Ziploc and a little napkin in there. And uh, as we get to that point, uh, they'll be available for you. If you just raise your hand, someone can bring you one, and you should be all set if you want to participate that way. Obviously, tonight, uh, communion is the backdrop of our time together. Uh, In the retelling of the story of Jesus and the Gospels, we see that uh, Thursday night, obviously, was when they celebrated Passover together. Uh, Then they had that uh, Last Supper together, and then they went into the garden. He's arrested, and you got a little bit of that story. Uh, Then on uh, Saturday, on uh, Friday, uh, he's crucified, and we're told at 3 o'clock he gives up his spirit. And so that's kind of uh, where we're looking at things today. Uh, We just uh, sung of Christ and his shed blood. Uh, being the perfect uh, Passover lamb. Uh, For those of us who are familiar with the story in the Older Testament, uh, when uh, Moses brings out uh, the Israelites uh, from Egypt, freedom from captivity, uh, the night before they're leaving, uh, he instructs everyone to put the blood of a lamb over the doorway, and uh, the death angel will pass them by. So the symbolism of Passover, Lamb of God, Jesus being that perfect Lamb, never needing to be re-sacrificed is, the, again, the imagery as we, as we look at this. And uh, tonight, though, I would like to really focus in on the idea of the bread and Jesus being the bread of life. In our sermon series, we've been talking about being all in and all the components of that, and I will not repeat all that. But, but one of the things that we who are Christ followers uh, need to realize is that we need a daily dose, a daily uh, feeding on Jesus being the bread of life. Uh, we just can't go on automatic pilot. We need him to be regularly sustaining us. And as we think about communion and we think about uh, his body, uh, the bread, uh, being the bread of life, and also, as we've already mentioned, his blood, without the remission, without the shedding of blood, there's not remission of sin. Uh, We come to this idea where uh, John, one of Jesus' closest friends, says, referring to what Jesus had said, says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And uh, all of us uh, get the imagery of bread and the idea that bread is a staple food and uh, you can live a long time on bread and water. Uh, Sometimes, probably not as often as uh, we maybe used to, we talk about sharing a meal together and breaking bread and the idea of, of food. And again, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert for those 40 years, uh, the Lord provided them bread from heaven to sustain the nation. It was something they didn't have to work for. It was there. And so Jesus is making these uh, connections. Uh, In John chapter uh, 6, as he explains a little bit about this, just to give a little bit of setting of this, uh, we realize that Jesus is talking about him being bread of the life. Um, Earlier on, there's a hungry crowd, and Jesus asks Philip, uh, where can we get food, where we can buy food for this crowd? And Jesus' answer displays a little 
little faith. He says, basically, there's not enough money in anywhere to provide for all these crowds. We don't have much food. Uh, he finds, uh, Andrew finds that boy who provides five small loaves and bread and two fishes, and Jesus miraculously feeds the crowd. Uh, then a little bit later, the disciples uh, go and uh, cross the lake, begin crossing the Lake of Galilee. Jesus goes off to be by himself. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Jesus definitely picked up the vibe that these people were ready to follow Jesus because he was giving them bread and uh, knew that the disciples might get a little caught up with that, so he sends them ahead, and then uh, you have the story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter joining him for a little bit. And we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come in our series, but not for uh, tonight. And then as they regather and go to the other side, and uh, there's now crowds again gathering around Jesus because they're looking for this bread. And Jesus, in verse 27 of John, says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. From on him God the Father has set his seal. And again, the idea is that they were caught up with so much of this person, this Jesus, providing for their physical needs that they were, they were missing the bigger picture. And then that's where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And in that statement, it's a phenomenal statement because what Jesus is saying, first of all, and we've already just touched on that, is that Jesus is equating himself with bread, the sustaining bread, not for physical life, but for spiritual life, for eternal life. And uh, Jesus is, is starting to unfold that. He's trying to make that clear to the people. And then uh, just talking about that, and he's saying, I am essential for life. And they need to get that. And again, sometimes you and I, as we're living our lives in 2021, need to remember that Jesus needs is that essential bread for life. Not the physical uh, bread, but that spiritual bread, that daily experiencing him, the one that fills our soul, fills our heart. Also, another interesting thing is when Jesus says this, he is very clearly claiming deity. When he says, I am, all those I am statements, again, go back to Moses and the burning bush and all that I am. And, and they know that later on. We see that they, they know what Jesus is saying when he says, I am. We know that because we have scholars that give us the background of that. But if you and I were just to read that, we might miss that. So he's making that other claim when he talks about being the bread of life. And then he also, in that passage in chapter 6, talks about coming and believing, placing their trust, their faith in Jesus as Messiah, Son of God, saying yes to him. Uh, also, he talks again about this idea of having an appetite for him, uh, that idea of hunger and thirst and having that appetite. Uh, earlier on in Matthew 5, uh, Matthew records Jesus' words in the Beatitudes, and he says, uh, you, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you will ever eat. And again, we need to be reminded that hunger for God is actually a good thing. It's a good thing that you and I hopefully daily have a hunger for God. And we don't go after him, when we don't chase after him, when we don't 
eat from his table, if you will. Uh, it's something happens, and we find ourselves having that hole, and we need to uh, get sustenance somewhere else, and we find that it doesn't uh, satisfy us. In Isaiah, we read about filling ourselves uh, with food that doesn't satisfy us, uh, leaky cisterns and things like that. Um, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes that that hunger, that desire for something more than this world, that, that tension that we feel like we're a little bit out of phase in this world, uh, he says God has placed uh, eternity in our hearts. That's that desire for that spiritual answer to our lives. And Jesus being the bread, the sustenance, is the only place we can find that. And even those of us who have said yes to Christ, who have made that initial decision, need, in a sense, to have a, a regular feeding, not, not to guarantee our salvation. We would say that when we have a relationship with God, it is sealed, and our actions don't earn that or take that away. But uh, we, we, need to, we need to come to him. That appetite is a good thing. It's a good thing to find that our soul appetite is not really met anywhere else. That's good for me because I would find myself feeding at different tables, and uh, that's not a good thing. So the fact that he is that bread of life. We read on in John chapter 6, he starts to really hone down on this idea. They're bristling with this. What do you mean? And he says, very truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And we know that's imagery. That's not talking about actually eating Jesus' body, but they were purposely, in a sense, missing it. They had ears, but they didn't see. They had, they had uh, eyes, but didn't see. Ears that didn't hear. And then you see a number of the disciples left Jesus. They didn't like that answer. They wanted a food line. They didn't want someone filling the void in their heart. So as we think of that Thursday, that Friday, Good Friday, we think of communion we need to be reminded of those things. And it's not, these are just symbols. Uh, we're going to say that nothing uh, supernatural takes place. The, the, the bread is bread, or the cracker is a cracker, or the wafer is a wafer, and the, the juice or the wine is just juice and wine. But I will say this. When you and I slow down and remember who Jesus is, often we talk about looking to the past what Christ did for us. We talk about looking within. We talk about looking around, expressing our faith and our love to others. And we talk about looking to the future. When you and I do those things, and when they're a, uh, a um, in a sense, a catalyst in our life for Christian living, for Christ-following living, and when we partake of this, and we remember of this, and we look back and look around we find that something spiritual does happen. 
It recalibrates us. I shared this years ago that I used to have a watch that this is before GPSs were built into watches and somehow we could uh, take a reading of the bar barometric uh, pressure and then it would help you when you walked up a mountain. It would tell when the pressure was changing and give you some elevation. Well, well, that just would only work per time. You would have to reset it every time you went. So you'd start off, you would know what your elevation was, and you'd set your watch, and then from then on, it would be pretty fairly accurate. The same thing is true for those of us who are Christ followers. We need to stop regularly and pause and look back and see what he's done for us. Look within and see how we're allowing him to sustain our soul and how that expresses itself in our actions. And then we also look around. Our faith isn't just so you can feel good about your life. Your faith isn't just about you. It's not about me. It's not about me saying, wow, I'm set for eternity. This world is hard and I'm just going to you know, kind of live in this holy bubble and live, for my, live and, and be good, but I'm just kind of kid to keep to myself. No, we're to look around. We have a faith that we uh, share with others, and that begins with acts of kindness and love and being involved and being engaged in people's lives that sometimes are hard to love. And then we also look to that day when Christ will return. Most of us still have it pretty good. The early church, when they would celebrate, and they celebrated regularly, they would really emphasize the day that Christ comes back and sets things right. They would emphasize heaven, new heavens, new earth, all of the closure, closure of uh, history, if you will, because they were just hanging on. And sometimes I think we need a little bit more of a recalibration in that idea, looking at how we're living our lives, what we're, what's, quote-unquote, sustaining us, and realizing that, yes, things can be sweet, things can be good in this life, but do we really look forward to that day when Christ will come and set everything right and our perspective of what's important and values and all those kinds will instantaneously be cleared up. So we look to the past, yes, we look uh, inward, we take time, then we look to uh, those around us, but we also look to the future. We live for that next chapter of life, not just this chapter of life. We have to be, have to be recalibrated. So when Jesus said those words, or John records those words in John chapter 6, then we think about Jesus on that last night, that Thursday night. Paul kind of gives us a little synopsis about how to remember, how to celebrate communion, how to celebrate the Last Supper. And uh, he was doing that because the church at Corinth was not really doing a good job at it. And you can look into that yourself, but it was really... Uh, pretty sad how they were celebrating it and how they were expressing it. But Paul writes these words. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Remember that Jesus' presence, Jesus in our life, sustains us. He's that manna, that bread from heaven. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he comes and sets everything right. Paul goes on to uh, give a few more instructions about how to celebrate communion. And again, I have to remind myself, because I, I don't know about you, but I grew up doing this all the time. I grew up going to church, and that's a great legacy. That's a great thing to have a part of your life, but it also makes it very familiar. But even just the word communion is celebrating that we can have communion with God and each other, and we kind of lose track of that. Moving on, he says, anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be a part of? So he says, examine your motives, test your heart, come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or worse, don't really care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you are running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now have listless and sick and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to be straightened out later on. So when Paul talks about examining ourselves, he first wants us to make sure that we're actually a Christ follower, that we have admitted that we need a Savior, we've asked for his forgiveness, and that we've placed our trust, the weight of our lives, in him. That it's his goodness, his righteousness, his sacrifice, his sinlessness that makes it possible for you and I to have a relationship with God. None of us can be good enough. None of us can. But instead of writing us off, God and his son provide for us so we can have that. So we place our trust. And then, and then we choose to say yes to him, to invite him into our life, to be connected with him, to, to repent. And repent sounds like a big word, but repent is basically changing our mind. Yes, sometimes repentance involves sadness and grief, but that's just part of it. It needs to eventually have action and change. When our kids were young, and I've shared this before, and they would say they're sorry, there was a moment where all of a sudden we started saying to them, don't say you're sorry unless you mean it. Because sorry for them was get mom and dad off our back because we're guilty, we did something. So the minute I say sorry, I can move on and do my thing. Well, that's, that isn't why we were after them, if you will. It was because we wanted to see change. We wanted to see growth. We wanted to see maturity. Likewise, when, when, when you and I repent... We say we're sorry, yes, but there's change. Sometimes we have to struggle through that change. Some of the times that change comes very easily, but, but a lot of it is the struggle. And sometimes as Christ followers, we've talked about converting, conversion, but we don't realize that really our life is a life of converting. Because I haven't arrived. Maybe 
some of you also haven't arrived, and I continually need to convert and align my life in response to his life in me to what he would have me to be. And then my communion seems to be sweeter and stronger and fuller. So, so we, we admit, we believe, we choose to repent reg- first time regularly, and, and we grow. And then the other way we uh, you know, evaluate or look within is to really ask ourselves, how is our relationship with God going? Are we actually communing with him on a regular basis? Are we walking with him? It's a little flippant to celebrate communion, even when we're a Christ follower, and we're as far from him in some ways as we could be. Yes, we're his child. Yes, our eternity is not hanging in the balance because Christ paid it for us. But are we regularly communing with him? And that's not to make us feel guilty. It's just to make you realize, myself realize, we're missing out. Because the one that sustains us, the one that is the bread of life, is Jesus. And so we celebrate that bread of life. And why not have a satisfying, regular, healthy meal that builds the body strong, rather than just kind of etching along. So we examine ourselves. We let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. So as we, as we think about this, I, uh, I've read this before to you, and it's not to make us feel bad, but uh, sometimes, at least in my life, I don't spend enough time repenting or letting God even have access to my heart to say, what's out of alignment? What needs to be recalibrated? Uh, There's a corporate confession uh, written by a church in Connecticut, and I find it, uh, especially some of the sections, thoroughly convicting and producing in me the desire to repent and change. Not just be sorry, but to repent and change. So let me just uh, read these to you, and then we'll get ready to celebrate and remember together. Lord, you know those of us who have lost our first love and have become lukewarm. We confess apathy and complacency. We have no passion for you, your word, your people, and your service. We confess apathy as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have not taken sin seriously because we know your grace is abundant We confess a tolerance of and a callousness to sin. We excuse our sins because we know you'll forgive us. It is as if if we sin that grace may abound. We've tolerated sin in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters. We do not lovingly confront them when you have told us to do so. We confess our tolerance and callousness to sin. Lord, you know those of us who have been conformed to the image of this world and want everything to be comfortable and convenient. We confess selfishness. We resist giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. We want to be served rather than to serve. We fail to use our time, treasure, and talents to your glory. We confess our selfishness as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have not loved you with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. 
nor have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. We confess wrong priorities. We have chosen to put other activities before you, before our family, before our service for you. We confess wrong priorities as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have become puffed up with our knowledge of the Bible, our independent spirit, our non-legalistic approach to Christian life, living. We confess pride. This pride is expressed in quiet rebellion, muffled grumbling, looking down upon people who are at a different point in their spiritual pilgrimages. We confess pride as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have neglected to pray without ceasing. We confess a lack of prayer. We do not make plans to pray individually, with our families, with others. We do not pray enough for our leaders, our ministries, our missionaries, and for each other. We confess our lack of prayer as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have become ineffective as salt and light in our world. We confess our lack of outreach. We're not friendly towards guests in our church. We do not build bridges of friendship towards unbelievers. We do not pray for the salvation of others. We do not participate in our communities as representatives of Jesus Christ. We confess our lack of outreach as sin. Lord, you know those of us who have neglected time to listen, to share, to give, and to show hospitality to others. We confess our resistance to sharing ourselves. We need open hearts, open hands, and open homes. We confess a resistance to sharing ourselves as sin. Let's just take a few moments of silent prayer, and then I will close. Uh, there might be something that has struck you in that reading. I know there's some things that have struck me even reading it again and again. And to be quite honest with you, in a moment like this, I can't get my mind around those and have a movement forward. But I can isolate some things and say, Lord, in the future, not next month, but in the future, in the next few days, I can circle around and look at these things and talk with you and say, Lord, how do I move forward in one or two of these areas? So let's pray and let the Lord, let the Spirit speak to your heart.
Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We're thankful that he willingly went to the cross on our behalf. That he died for us even before we were right with you. That he died for us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our sin, in spite of what it would cost him. In spite of the fact that even when we say yes to you, we do sometimes say no to you. So, Lord, this evening we would ask for a heaviness of conviction, not guilt, conviction. And that you would, your spirit would speak to us. We serve one God and three persons, a triune God. And we ask that this would be a continuing work in our life, your spirit speaking to our hearts. If there's anyone here who has not really said yes to you, they know you in their head but maybe don't know you in your heart or just may have not done that yet, we ask that even in this moment they would say yes to you. And then as we celebrate communion, they would celebrate it as a reality of their life, not just a religious uh, ceremony. And then for those of us who have said yes to you, Father, renew our passion, our hunger for you. I pray this, I pray this with a little bit of fear. Lord, may we find that you are the bread of life and all other bread doesn't taste good. Let us not be satisfied with the different kinds of bread that come in our way. We thank you for the gift of those things. We thank you for your generosity to us. But we ask that those things wouldn't satisfy the desire for eternity in our heart that Solomon writes about. Let us not be easily satisfied with junk food, junk bread, if you will. Lord, we're thankful that we can gather tonight in person. We thank you for those that can participate online. And again, we just are in awe of you. And we ask that this part of actually partaking would be a reaffirmation of being in awe of you. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful, saving name. Amen. If you didn't uh, pick up one of these...